Hi there, and welcome to episode number two of the Rhythm, Repetition, and Reverence podcast. My name is Lauren Bergstead, and I'm an early childhood Waldorf education teacher at Winsong School here in Spokane, Washington. Today's episode, I want to talk with you about creating a nourishing play space for your children. In this day and age, we have so much information coming at us about playthings, things that our children need to stimulate their imaginations, to stimulate their thinking, to advance their academics. And this marketing happens all the way down to children who are just being born. This type of marketing works against what we know is typical and normal child development. When a child is born, it's literally an open, just just an open being. Uh, the, the brain and the neurological system is so new that it has no way to filter what's coming at it in the way that you and I do, in the way that I could ignore my children shouting at me today when I was trying to make dinner and also have a telephone call. I could block them out momentarily so I could finish my finish the work that I was doing. Babies and young children have no such filters built in. Their brain just hasn't matured enough. And so for that reason, everything that's in their environment makes an impression on them and requires that their system do something with it. Uh, This can be extremely taxing for the baby or the young child. So when you're approaching building a nourishing play space for your child, I want you to approach it in that manner. When I come into this room, what are the things that hit me as I come in? Is there a lot of stuff? Is there a little bit of stuff? Visually, are there things everywhere or are there things tucked away? What do the walls and the curtains look like? Are they brightly patterned? Is the sun streaming in somewhere? Um, Are there lots of things to look at? Of course, we want some things for the children to look at and to play with, but we also don't want it to be so much that it overwhelms their sensory systems. So that's the first thing to keep in mind when you're designing a nourishing play space. How am I protecting my child's brain in such a way that it only is processing as much as it can? The second thing that I want you to think about in creating a nourishing play space is what is there here to play with? What kinds of things are here that allow my child to play openly? And what does play openly mean? It means that a plaything that's in that room has more than one function. 
So many toys that we see marketed in the stores only have one way in which you can play with them. Most of them have bright lights, um, lots of colors. Um, it's actually really hard to find toys these days that don't have sound that accompanies them as well. Um, so not only are all of those things a lot for the child's developing neurological system, but they also lend the toy to only be able to be played with in one way. Whatever way the, the toy designer thinks that the toy should be played with. Um, and so when you're approaching your play space and looking at what you want to make available for your child, and this is hard to do as an adult. It's, it's hard to play as an adult because it's not something that we need to do. It's not part of our um, everyday repertoire. And so it can be hard to look at play things and think, well, what could you use this for? But one of the, the main things to keep in mind is kind of the more plain, the better. The harder it is for you to think of something to do with a toy, probably the more likely it is that the child will be able to think of all sorts of things to do with whatever you're putting in there. So um, in our kindergarten, where I teach, where we are really working on nourishing the child's ability to have open-ended and creative play, um, we have a set of tunnels. We have a whole bunch of big wooden boxes that the children can build and play things with. We have some lightly colored cloths or silks. The children use those for capes, they use them for fishing poles, they use them to tie things together and drag them around, they use them for bracelets, fairy wings, blankets, all sorts of things. Um, we have a couple of dollies and cradles, a little doll corner that the children can play in with some easy to remove clothing for the babies so that the children can work on some of those fine motor skills. We have a play kitchen. The kitchen doesn't make coffee or have an ice maker or a stove that bubbles or a microwave that beeps. It's just a wooden handmade stove and a wooden handmade refrigerator. And in those, I have some simple stainless steel little pans that the, oh, they're probably not stainless steel. I suppose there's some other sort of metal. Um, there's some wooden bowls, there's some wooden spoons so that the children can, um, the children can cook. But for the most part, things are very, Plain. There's lots of things that you can do with them. So when you're looking at your home, I would think about what can I clean out that maybe only has one function. These things where you push buttons and something happens, those are one function toys and curbs the child's ability to turn that into something else. So um, I would think about removing all or some of those toys. And, and see what happens. Um, your regular things that you use around the house are great things to add into a nourishing play space. So little washcloths, little napkins, little dishes, uh, little kitchen utensils. These are all things that children like to play because they've also seen you do it around the house. Um, simple things like shells, little wooden blocks, feathers, 
um, acorns, chestnuts. These types of things are great in a play kitchen. Obviously not for children who are still putting things in their mouths, but for children who have moved past that, it's really wonderful. Um, So think about, yeah, things that are just really plain. Things that you can't think of anything to do with. And the children really can turn anything into anything. And the plainer you make things, the more they have to use their imagination to have them come in or turn into something else. And the more you leave the option there for them to do that. We, If the option isn't there, which is typically what you see with, with toys that really have a specific function in mind, um, you, you take away the opportunity for the toy to be something else. So I would encourage you to kind of uh, cull through the toys that you have in your home and see what happens when you tuck the things away that um, only have that one use and try to kind of bulk up the things that could have multiple uses and see what happens. For the baby, a boy, a baby who's not... Um, who who's just looking at the ceiling, you know, something simple over the over the top of them that they have to look at that they could bat at, simple wooden rattles, um, soft balls, little tiny babies that they can play with. Children under 18 months can get by, I would say, with 12 or less things to play with. And if they've from the beginning been offered the opportunity to have not so many things to choose from and also to have things that don't have just a single function um they they will cultivate that ability even in that young of age um the third thing i like to think of when i'm creating a nourishing play space is how easy is it to pick up how easy is it for the child to participate in cleanup? It's really nice if at the end of a time, so say you've, um, you've had breakfast and you're moving into where you're cleaning up and the child is playing for a little bit, that at the end of every time you play, the child and you together can put everything back in its home. That's what we say in kindergarten. Put everything back in its home. And this is easiest to do if, one, there aren't a ton of things, but two, the picking up is fairly easy and everything really does have a place. And then it will look nice and tidy when it's done. And in this way, you're, you're helping children learn how to care for their things, which will translate into caring for the home, which eventually translates to caring for the, for the greater community and world. And so we want to teach children how to care for the things that they have. And so we like tidy up time to be easy. So perhaps this is tucking things into baskets. All the silks and cloths go into a basket. All the small things for the kitchen go into the basket. Maybe there's a little table in there where children can sit to do art or um serve their things from the play kitchen. Perhaps the bowls and things get set up on the table. Perhaps there's a nice little bookshelf where children can tuck their books away. Or maybe there's another little basket for the books. Um, But think about baskets or little boxes where things that 
um, like things can be put together. So it's not that we're just um, hodgepodging, quickly cleaning anything up off the floor and throwing it into the basket. We're trying to give the child a picture that everything has a place, which you probably hope to cultivate in your own home. You put the linens in the linen closet. There's a place in which you find your pans in your kitchen. There's a place in which you find your face wash at night. The child needs a similar sense of security and sense of order in their play area. So as much as you can create that for them, the more nourishing the space is. Um, If the children feel really overwhelmed with cleanup or even participating in cleanup, and when I say participating in cleanup, uh, with the young child, a lot of times that's me doing a lot of the cleanup and handing a few things to the child to put away. But if even that seems overwhelming for them, I always think about perhaps I, I need to ask the question, is there too much stuff in here? Is it too overwhelming? Um, and so I think about pulling things back and maybe tucking them away. Um, one of the things that has worked well at our house is I have a bin that I put that I kind of rotate toys out of. So, I mean, we always have staples in our play space, but I'll rotate things out of that play space. So we always have a play kitchen and a dolly corner. And um, actually the dollhouse moves in and out kind of depending upon how the children are playing. But I'll I'll rotate toys out too to keep things interesting um, and to also make sure that there's not too much stuff at once. Um, the other thing that can kind of clue you into perhaps there being too much stuff is if the play is really stagnant. Sometimes having too many choices can be paralyzing. And if there's too much stuff to play with, then one can't even play at all. So that's another thing to think about as you're thinking about this space. Lastly, and this is especially important for, um, the really young child, the, the initial walker maybe the initial climber, is that you're creating a space in which I would call it a yes space, where everything that is in there and set up in there is safe for the child to participate and play with. This frees you up from having to manage the play. So in our front room, which is our playroom, everything there is safe for the child to to play with and for your younger children you can even put up a little baby gate in a door and they can be in that play area maybe while you are folding laundry or whatever Um, but that there's a space in which they feel held and that it belongs to them it nourishes their imagination it is not overloading to their sensory systems and that they're welcome to play with anything that's in there. So that is just a little bit on creating a nourishing play space, which offers sensory protection for the young child while also fostering open and creative play. You can dive more into this in our rhythm Repetition and Reverence program at Winsong School, which is a home curriculum for parents who have young children at home. And if you want to hear more about that, you can check out our website 
at spokanewindsongschool.org. I hope you enjoyed this podcast.